Thursday. It's now 12 o'clock, which means that it's time for Out of the Box. And thank you to Steve and Ferris for taking you through your morning. Past three hours, he's played a lot of great tracks, and you can find them all on the FBI radio website. But now I've got a guest by the name of Zora Sanders in the studio with me. A lot of people do dream of, you know, after maybe editing the, the high school, I mean, university literary magazine, uh, then going on to edit a big name magazine. And Zora Sanders did just that and she's in the studio with me today and she also went on to edit Me Engine and now she is the editor of that magazine. Thanks for joining me on Out of the Box. Absolutely my pleasure. And you've brought a lot of tracks in today. What have we got? Um, so I think a lot of this reflects the fact that I came to music quite late in my life. Um, relatively late. So... Uh, in, I don't want it to make make it sound like my house was some sort of, you know, conservative, footloose type scenario, which it was not at all, quite the opposite. But we didn't really listen to pop, popular music mm-hmm. when growing up. My mum, my the idea of sort of sitting down and listening to an album is very she, – she would never do that. It was very boring. And she didn't really have music on in the background. She'd listen to talk radio and, and so – I came to music through movies and I listen, you know, when I listened to music, it was usually movie soundtracks or uh, musicals. And uh, the the first track that I have on this list is from a band that is now much hated, but at the time... (laughs) Oh, you're looking forward to this, aren't you? (laughs) Well... it's, it's, It's an interesting situation when you like something that many, many people hate... And you kind of understand the hatred, but it never quite stops you liking that. Yeah, like I really like Shania Twain. I have to say, Come On Over is one of the greatest albums of all time. But, yeah, um, it is one of the greatest. That is that is that absolutely <laughs> true, actually. Actually, yeah. let's just scrap this and just play um, Come On Over instead. So for the next that- hour on FBI Radio, we've got Come On Over by Shania Twain. 12 tracks in full, beautiful, contemporary I'm so happy that we've come together on yeah, this. Yeah, contemporary country. You can't really go wrong, can you? <laughs> you know, you can't. Um, okay, so but the, the difference with Shania Twain, I think, to, to the band that I'm going to play first, is that Shania Twain has a bit of cool. Like, she, she almost has ironic cool now, perhaps. Yeah. This band does not have that at all. <laughs> Everyone just hates them. Um, and... Particularly, they hate the personality. So I'll stop teasing you. And the first track that I'm going to play is Spies by Coldplay. Enjoy it. It's quite a good song. If you just give it a chance, just, just give, give it, it a chance. Go. Yeah, be nice to Coldplay on FBI Radio. How do you live as a fugitive down here where I cannot see so clear? I said, What do I know? Show me the right way to go. And the spies came out 
I played this 
um, for my partner, and he was like, and I was like, look, you know, now I can see that it was sort of Radiohead light, but I wasn't ready for Radiohead at, at 14. I didn't know anything about music, and it was a re- it was a real gateway. Coldplay was a gateway drug for me into popular music, and I always have a soft spot in my heart. For Definitely, him. and I think that when you're really young, you don't really you know dissonance doesn't go down really well, and no. Radiohead has a lot of that kind of dissonance, make you feel sick in the big yeah, city exactly. kind of thing. You know, a I just bit. I wasn't that angsty as a 14 mm. year old. I needed I was melancholy rather than angsty, and and that that Coldplay suited me very well for that. All right, so <laughs> I, I think we got away with that. They're yeah. not going to shut down the radio station because we played some Coldplay. Um, was, oh, I'm, no. I'm look, I'm an apology from me to you if you were offended by that. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll never do it again. And that's my guest apologizing, Zora Sanders today. <laughs> She's the editor of Mianjin, and she was the editor of Farago before that. She's an editor at large, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, editor is a pretty ethereal term. Like to mm. me, it's always mm-hmm. been. I didn't really know what's involved. Could you tell us a little bit what it's like in the day to day nitty gritty of being an editor? Yeah, it's pretty much the same as being a general admin assistant, um, except you get a better title, and then you also occasionally get to mess around with people's writing, um, and they have to put up with it. That's really the the only difference. Um, the best part of my job is is the actual editing, and so that probably encompasses uh, commissioning, which is, I think, the most fun thing of all. So, you know, you get to find a writer who uh, means something to you, or you think is very promising, or or they're you know your hero, and you get to approach them and beg them to write for you for not very much money. Um, and have you done that? Have you actually called someone and begged? For a piece oh, of writing. I feel like I always uh, my to- my general work tone is apologetic begging. That's you know that's always the tone I Please forgive me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm I'm sorry, and can you please do this? I, I it's terrible. It's actually terrible. I need to stop doing it. But um, and I'm not, I'm really just not that nice in real life. So whatever people, <laughs> so people who know me only by email, they're like, oh, she's such a wet blanket. She's always so <laughs> apologizing all the time. I can and see using my exclamation marks in all her emails after the at the end of every sentence i'm just not that person producer behind you zasha <laughs> is uh he has his hand up he's like oh yes i know exactly what you're talking about yeah you've got a reputation now oh god you're gonna have to be more hard-assed yeah i know <laughs> yeah but but then you know but but i have to say i think it gets you places and learning to write a good apology email is is one of the key skills of a good editor i think <laughs> um you know and, and a good rejection email um so those are, you know, your, your, the the jewel skills of a good editor, I what's, think. What's a good rejection email look like? I mean, if someone's poured their blood, sweat and tears into something, yeah. it must be a bit of a bit of an ask. Yeah, it is. And I'm I'm always so aware. I think actually I think it's something that comes from having worked in student media um first at university. Um I we, we you know, we, you have an ethos when you're a student editor that your job is to encourage people to write and you try to reject as few people as possible and you try to work with people as much as possible. And so even though, you know, I, I don't have to do that now, I still very much have that ethos in my mind and I want to, you know, people people who write something that's good but has, has a big problem, you know, I, I try to, to work with them um, to make it better. That said, 
the quantity of material that's submitted to me and we just there's no way I could work with everyone um and there's you know so there's a lot of just rejection blank rejection sort of not blank um standard rejection emails that get sent but and um, what are they like are they kind of to the tone of sorry we've got too many submissions at yeah the it, it, it is like that and I mean part, partially that's true because the uh, submissions the quality of a submission submissions always comes on a on a big sliding scale and um, you know, if if your piece was almost good enough, one issue, um, but you know there were there were five pieces that were better, then you know it will get pushed out because of space, not necessarily because of the quality. Um, but yeah, it, it, we always I try and give feedback when when it's a case a line ball case. Yeah, makes it's, sense. It's a difficult job. In the, indeed, <laughs> I guess you're the you're the go or no for a lot of people. I know, I know. It's strange it's to be that career. sort of gatekeeper for people and you, you know that their sort of hopes and dreams are relying on this five-line email that you're going to send them. Speaking of hopes and dreams, we've got a track coming up next from Machine Gun Fallacio from when you were a young girl with hopes and dreams. Yes. Oh, I had hopes and dreams. So I was talking before how about how I didn't know much about popular music and the first live gig that I ever went to was uh, Robbie Williams' And, I mean, whatever you might say about Coldplay, if, were it not for Coldplay, I would still be listening to Robbie Williams and movie soundtracks, and that's it. So we should thank So Robbie we should Williams. thank uh, Coldplay. Coldplay. <laughs> we can thank Robbie Williams. So I went, it was the first gig I ever went to, and I was maybe I was 14 or 15, and it was a huge stadium gig, and it was terrible. Like, it was so overwhelming and unpleasant. The, the, support, the two support acts were Duran Duran and then Machine Gun Fellatio. It was the strangest combination of acts that I've ever encountered, even then or since. I mean, I, I think maybe I thought, oh, I guess this is what concerts are like. Yeah. They're just weird. Concert bookers in the 90s. That wouldn't have floated today. <laughs> no, I mean, if that came out, you, the internet really would know wouldn't. about it. <laughs> and the crowd, a lot of the crowd were there just for Duran Duran as well, which was very interesting. Uh, they didn't care about Robbie Williams or Machine Gun Flay Show. So it was a real mix. But none of that mix was ready for machine gun fire. <laughs> like there was, there was no room in the Venn diagram for for them, um, and people were sort of terrified. But it was, it was, it was so. It, by default, they were the first Australian live act I ever saw, and uh, I never forgot the experience. And this track is called "The Girl of My Dreams Has Given Me Nightmares" on FBI with my guest Zora Sanders. The girl of my dreams has given me nightmares. I found her on TV, now I see her everywhere. She's got style, she's got violent ways about her. She got me so that I can't dream without her. She's given me nightmares, she's given me Sides exploded. Yeah. 
First time that that's been played on FBI in a long time. (laughs) Too long, too long. Machine Gun (laughs) Felicio, brought in by my guest today, Zora Sanders. Thanks for that. My pleasure. I'm so. uh, I I was tossing up with what what song to um, go with from Machine Gun Felicio, but I'm I'm glad we went with that one. Yeah, kicker. It's a banger. (laughs) It's a banger. And we were were just talking before that track about being an editor and kind of the the process of actually, you know, surveying and rejecting and Mm. accepting and Mm. working on pieces with writers. But there's there's been a bit of a zeitgeist in, you say, in kind of the topics that people look at. And I'd love to know a bit more about that. And what do you think it represents about It's very interesting. So the majority of what we get submitted to us, um, you know, just through, through the submissions pile, uh, is fiction, and a goodly percentage of that fiction are stories with a child protagonist living in the bush with often an alcoholic but in some way troubled parent. Um, it's uncanny. Like we could publish just whole editions just of stories on that theme. It doesn't it sound always... too enticing though. Like the the no. child protagonist, alcoholic parent in the bush edition yeah. volume. Yeah, it, it doesn't. But look, this is what people are writing, and if they're writing it, maybe it's what they want. Maybe this is this is we're failing to give the people what they want, which is alcoholic parents in the bush. Um, but it, it, it I, I particularly find it interesting because. Even even beyond that specific scenario, even probably even more of the fiction that we get submitted is set in the bush, and we know that the vast majority of Australians live in urban environments. You know, there's in a handful of big cities around our coasts. Um, so clearly, like it's just not possible that they're all writing what they know. 
so I guess they're writing what what they think Australian literature is, and that's fast. That is completely fascinating to me. The sort of group unconsciousnesses. Uh, conception of what Australian literature means. It's Maybe it's a little depressing, but it's also just so fascinating. I, I, I kind of love it. It's really interesting. Do you get lots of kind of really in-depth descriptions of eucalypt and stuff? With no, those no. In- people don't tend to go... I don't think they go that cliché. I mean, the thing is that you can tell that the stories that have been written feel very fresh to the writers. They don't... I mean, there's no way that they can know that it's the fifth story along those lines that I've read that day. It's, you know, I'm the only one who know, who sees who sees that side. Um, but, yeah, and it, it's not the only thing. We also get lots of um, parents with Alzheimer's stories, which I think is a sort of marker of the baby boomers moving through <laughs> through their lives and sort of through the generations. So, you know, most of them have now got ageing parents and it's an experience that, many of them are dealing with but you know you, you can see what what's happening uh in society at large sort of reflected back through this warped prism of, of people's conception of what Australian literature is it's quite yeah. fascinating interesting I and I, I also think it's interesting that you can actually see on the site not not as a reader but from the back end what kind of pieces are very widely shared that are very kind of widely looked at yeah. what kind of stuff usually gets the biggest audience on your site in Mangin? yeah so people love 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 reading about sickness um personal memoirs about sickness either either mental um mental health problems or physical health problems anything in between um it's you know it's such a universal it's illness is such a universal experience and it's also the experience that is completely unique to to each person who who it happens to and it's something that you know for for many people they're young they're healthy they don't have a great experience of of long-term sickness of, of something major going wrong with their bodies or their mind um, until it happens and then suddenly it's this whole other experience that's been opened up to them and they just want to share they don't want to share it and they want to read about it and they feel so connected to other people who are who are writing about it and it's inc- it's incredibly popular whenever we put anything online that has that theme it just goes nuts people i guess it's it. also something to do with the fact that i mean these things that you know especially with sickness and mental illness you don't really talk about it much in in common society i mean yeah. there's not a lot of that on the street so you do kind of retreat into a into a secret space with those yeah. kind of and topics. it's very much something that lends itself to to reflect reflecting on so you know you, you think a lot about you, your sickness and how it's changed you it, it can be quite a philosophical experience to be sick um and that's not something that you get to express in everyday conversation, you know, oh, I, I, my sickness has, you know, fundamentally changed my sense of self. Can we ha- now have a talk- discussion about this for twenty minutes over coffee? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen very, very often. Um, so your friends are very open-minded, unless, yeah, unless you have a very, very forgiving, philosophically minded friends. Um, so, so writing about it is an outlet for that, and reading about it is an out- outlet for that. And it, it is, it is this great shared experience that so many people have that isn't talked about at, at the most basic level of our sort of discourse between people. Actually, there was a, one of my favourite pieces on Mianjin was on mental illness, and I actually think we should go to a track for a moment. We've got Swing Low Magellan by Dirty Projectors. Why'd you bring this one in? Um, I love Dirty Projectors. I think they're wonderful and beautiful and amazing. But this particular song ties into another interest of mine, which is maritime history. Um, uh, 
I do have a nickname, which is very embarrassing, that I'm going to share with you, dear listeners. Um, All right, everyone listen in. Okay, so (laughs) the full thing is, so my name is Zora. The full thing is, all Snora Sanders and her tales of the sea, (laughs) which is very cruel. Um, And now people, several people refer to me as Snora, which I think is very rude. Uh, None of my stories about the sea are boring. They're all fascinating (laughs) and and offer great insight into our uh, colonial past. Um, But this this song I particularly love because it it actually captures what I really like about maritime history, which is the sense of adventure and loneliness and loss. So the song is called Swing Low Magellan, as is the album. And I think I think the song is a reference to Magellan himself, who was the first person to circumnavigate the globe. Um, he was Portuguese, but he was sailing under a Spanish flag, and he he died in the um, in the Pacific Ocean. He was he tried he kept trying to convert people to Christianity, didn't go very well. Um, he he got uh, murdered. He was murdered. His body was sort of dismembered and washed away in the ocean. They never never got it back. But this this song I sort of imagine is him. Know, before this happens, and they've been at sea for years. They didn't know the Pacific Ocean was there, so that was a, an unexpected surprise for them. Oh, hello, um, Pan Ocean. Yeah. Look at that. And so they'd, they'd been gone for years, much longer than they thought. And just that sense of being somewhere, it's not really possible anymore to go somewhere in the world and just have no idea where you are and no idea how long it'll take you to get home. That kind of loneliness I don't think is possible anymore, but I think this song just captures it, and that's why I love it so much. <laughs> Last night, oh, my attention squinting westward at the sunset with my pan of compass. When a man reached up, said something there against the sky, a point of light. To give itself to the naked eye On the shore, people yelling In their eyes, a great reflection In the grid, aware their position Unconcerned with intuition Our sympathy from that wilderness, so let it be arrested. Six or eight by seven Post a sentinel at the border Of what you attend, what you ignore I saw my friend in a pool of light Oh, drowned in doubt and shame And I knew that I had love 
lost my sight. Some lonely maritime themed music. Isn't it beautiful? Don't you just want to go circumnavigate the na- circumnavigate the globe now? Well, yeah, Don't I guess try and to... convert people to Christianity, though. It never works out well. And you will get dismembered and thrown you into will, the ocean. You will definitely get dismembered, so just don't do it. Just, just keep, it, keep it inside. Keep it inside. Mm. All right. And that, that track, before we were talking about, you know, the, the kind of things that people like reading and the mm, kind of mm. things that... Um, people like writing about and sickness is one of them mental health yeah. and my favorite piece that I've read on the internet I actually didn't realize it was on Mianjin, um until until now really yeah. is a piece by Elmo Keep called Summer and Antipsychotics in the City I think that's yeah, it yeah that's the title mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it is one of my favorites too and it was a it was a last minute sort of ring in um cuz Elmo had published something with Mianjin a little while before that um, and I had a I had a gap, and I was like, oh, Elmo, you know, she's 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 a really great writer. She's a very professional writer. She can turn things around that are clean very quickly. So she's the kind of writer that you go to when you've got a space to fill. Like, oh, can you just just write something? She's like, oh, I've got, I've got this piece. I'm not, I'm not sure about it yet. Um, you know, and she sort of sent it through. And I was like, yeah, this is it. This is the one. It was great. And tell um, us a bit more about the kind of actual. Uh, yeah. So the the, the piece is about um, a heat. When when she was living in Sydney, and there was a heat wave. And she didn't sleep for three days. She lived in a very hot house. And this kind of um, led to her, you know, this extreme exhaustion, sort of pushed her over to the, ed- the edge and she had a, a, you know, a mental breakdown of some kind. Um, and just the way she describes it from sort of an insider's perspective is quite amazing. You just, you know, all the, some of my favourite stuff is her talking about how she couldn't watch... She she was she was trying to watch Frasier, which is one of her favourite TV shows, and as a sort of comfort thing to try and get her to sleep and then calm down. But she was so you know she was in such a difficult mental place that when she was watching it, all she could see was kind of the actors and how fake it all was, and she just like she couldn't go along with the story. Which has this amazing part I think about sort of writing notes that like you know for for when she's better and she's like you know, expose Hollywood conspiracy. It's all lies. <laughs> so it's like, oh, obviously it's all lies. But uh, it, it, it's just an incredibly beautiful and insightful piece. Anyone who's ever experienced mental health issues, which is most people, or knows someone who has, which is everyone, should definitely read it. Um, it's it's so sympathetic and, and beautiful and clever and f- and funny. It's very funny. And definitely. Wonderful. I think we should also link to that on the Out of the Box program page. Yeah, we'll we'll do that. Yeah. yeah. Because it's just it's just one of those pieces it's so it's so whole mm. and it gives you a really lovely whole idea and leaves you with kind of i don't know a fuzzy feeling yeah. i don't know how's it fuzzy when it's talking about mental illness i don't, I don't know, know. It's the, <laughs> i think it's the writing that's really therapeutic it'll make but... you want to pick up your life and move to ballarat as well <laughs> who who thought anything could do that hey we were just talking about bad segues before but mm. talking of picking up your life and moving somewhere mm. oh, when you were smooth a, oh yeah like right it. you almost didn't notice when you were a wee young thang yeah. Uh, well, ten. Yeah. Moved to Britain. What What was going on there when you moved to Britain? Yeah. Suddenly from Canberra, which I I guess that's what Canberra does to you, makes you want to move elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Look, uh, I won't have any Canberra bashing. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm. So, yeah, I think you should apologise to the good people <laughs> of of the Australian Capital Territory. I do. Yep. There you go. You You've got an apology. Um, I love Canberra, and I and I loved Canberra then, but I, both my mum and I were a bit 
um, in a rut. I think you can, can a ten year old be in a rut. I think a ten year old can be in a rut. I was in a ten year old rut. Um, and she completely out of the blue proposed that we move to England for a year or two. I do have an older sister who we left behind. I'd like to say that she, she, she was, she was of legal age, I think, by the time we left and she was going to university, but we did just abandon her on her own, um, while we moved to another country. And, uh, I, I think my mother still feels a bit guilty about that, but she, she was fine. She was, she didn't die. She was, she was character building um so yeah so we so we moved to england um and we lived there for uh, three four years um and it was it was a formative experience and i i really love england now i wasn't so keen on it at the time when we first moved but um i have deep wells of fiction for the place now yeah and we've got a we've got a song that I mean, when you wrote in the kind of songs that you wanted to play on the yeah. show, there was one that was just like it's just not gonna it's just not gonna fly. I know, but we're gonna fly it anyway to some to some extent. It is the most English of all English songs. Well, the most English of all English composers. Uh, it's Gilbert and this is Gilbert and Sullivan. Um, and this is is the sun whose rays. I mean, they don't have song titles because it's an operetta, but it's and this recording is from the film Topsy Turvy, which not only do I love Gilbert and Sullivan, but I love this film. I love this film to an obsessive degree. Um, and this song is uh, from the Mikado. It's the character Yum Yum who's singing this song, and she's just sort of a ditzy girl. And then midway, you know, through the the, the play, she just comes out with this song about how beautiful she is and how she's going to take over the world. It's just wonderful. <laughs> and the reason I wanted to play this is because you somehow managed to link it to Gold Digger by Kanye. Yeah. So the thing that I love about this song and I love about Gilbert and Sullivan is that they were so of their time and they captured the mo- the moment of, of you know Victorian England so beautifully. Um and I think Kanye does a very similar thing today. Observe his flame that lasted in the moon celestial harness. There's not a trace upon a face of dividends or shyness. Tomorrow's night that through the night mankind may all acclaim Right now... Zora is actually miming everywhere. Also, you mentioned yeah. the person who's delivering this is from, from Harry Potter. <laughs> Every English actor was in Harry Potter at some stage, so it's not surprising. But this is um, Shirley Henderson who plays Moaning Myrtle. Um, I can totally picture that. Yeah. You can actually hear her, hear her voice, I think. Do you think we've had our fill for this for the day? All right. Yeah, is it, is I, think it time can, for... I think we can fade it out. Yeah. And now... I do love that song. I... Uh, oh, it's just great. I I'm, I know I know that it's you know not everyone's everyone's taste, but um, Gilbert and Sullivan were very clever. They have they have plays. They have a particular play called Patience, which is so um, it's very rarely performed. And one of the reasons it's very rarely performed is that all the references in it are so specific to the time that they kind of make no sense. Mm-hmm. Like we actually, you, you, there's this ama- The general plot of it is that. Um, this young guy is pretending to be a kind of an aesthetic poet and he's sort of he grows his hair long and he mopes around and he reads poetry and all the ladies love him and um so he's a hipster 
So he's a hipster. Well, this, <laughs> you've just jumped to my exact point. But like they have this, they have this wonderful song where he and the other main male character are deciding, you know, whether sort of whether he, the other character, should also be, pretend to be an, an aesthetic poet, and they're kind of imagining what what this would be. And there's all these amazing lyrics, like you know, they're talking about a Japanese young man, a blue and white young man, Francesca de Rimini, Mimini, Pimini, and like all these these things. And we just you have no idea what they what they're talking about. But at the time, people would have been listening to it and just been like, oh my god, this is hilarious. It's like you know, referencing a a skinny jean wearing Frankie reading young man today. <laughs> Um, it's just so clever and that is what I love about Kanye as well I mean he just does the same thing for now and he has the same lyrical genius as well like he's so he's so sharp and so fast and so funny and that's exactly I think Gilbert and Sullivan and Kanye would have got along very well on that note on FBI 94.5 here you got Gold Digger and there's a language warning on this one one, two, three, four nope wrong one that was a good one too, though. They're yeah. all good. They're all good this hour. We'll get to that eventually. On that note, she Kanye. take my money when I'm in need. Yes, yeah, it's a trifling friend indeed. Oh, she's a gold digger. Way over town that digs on me. Uh. Now I ain't saying she a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no broke niggas. Now I ain't saying she a gold digger. But she ain't messing with no broke niggas. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head. Cutie the bomb, met her at a beauty salon. With a baby Louis Vuitton under her underarm. She said, I could tell you rock, I could tell by your charm. Fars, girls, you gotta flock. I could tell by your charm and your arm, but I'm looking for the one. Have you seen her? My psychic told me she'll have her ass like Serena, Trina, Gina, for Lopez, four kids. And I gotta take all they badass to show this. Okay, get your kids, but then they got their friends. I pulled up in the bins, they all got a bin. We all went to den, and then I had to pay. If you fucking with this girl, then you better be paid. You know why? Take too much to touch her. From what I heard, she got a baby by Buster. My best friend said she used to fuck with Usher. I don't care what none of y'all say, I still love her. Now I ain't saying she a gold digger. Uh, but she ain't messing with no broke niggas. Uh, now I ain't saying she a gold digger. Uh, but she ain't messing with no broke niggas. Uh, get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head. 18 years, 18 years, she got one of your kids, got you for 18 years. I know somebody paying child support for one of his kids. His baby mama car crib is bigger than his. You will see him on TV any given Sunday. When the Super Bowl and drive off in a Hyundai. She was supposed to buy your shorty Tyco with your money. She went to the doctor, got Lyco with your money. She walk around looking like Michael with your money. Should have got that insured Geico for your money. Money. If you ain't no punk, holla, we want prenup. We want prenup, yeah. It's something that you need to have. Cause when she leave your ass, she gon' leave with half. 18 years, 18 years. And on her 18th birthday, found out it wasn't his. Now I ain't saying she a gold digger. Uh, but she ain't messing with no broke niggas. Uh, now I ain't saying she a gold digger. Uh, but she ain't messing with no broke niggas. Uh, get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Uh, get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Now I ain't saying you a gold digger, 
Cause you don't wanna do the smoke, but he can't buy weed. You go out to eat, he can't pay, y'all can't leave. It's this is in the back, you gotta roll up your sleeves. But while y'all washing, watch him. He gon' make it to a beans out of that toxin. He got that ambition, baby. Look at his eyes. This week he mopping floors, next week is the fries. So stick by his side. I know his dudes ballin' and yeah, that's nice. And they gon' keep calling and trying, but you stay right, girl. And when he get on, he leave your ass for a white girl. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head. Let me hear that back. On Friday, June 6, LA experimental musicians Liars come to CarriageWorks for modulations, bringing their unique clash of noise-driven experimentation and twisted pop. Liars perform their newly released seventh album Mess to Sydney audiences for the very first time as part of Vivid Sydney 2014.
so sultry. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I need a cold shower after that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but guess, was it male or female? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's this is a game that my uh, beloved partner likes to play. He he he'll play right and then he'll sort of confront me by like, what gender do you think the singer was? I'm like, well, obviously if you're asking me that, it must mean that it's not what you expect. And it does sound like a woman, but of course the, the vocalist is a man. Yes, and I remember the first time I ever played Rye on Air, I'd been mm. frothing over one particular track. Mm. And the first song on the album, I've forgotten the, the name of it already. It's the, it's the fourth? No, it's no. the second track. <laughs> that was that one did. that we just played. Anyway, I'll think of it yeah. and... Uh, let you know later. But anyway, I played it and I was like, mm. and this is right. And I was, I was actually saying, you know, she, mm. her, mm. and then, mm. you know, I was like, I'm going to find out more in the in the mm. mic break and uh, break between songs. And then I was just like, oh god, not <laughs> got it completely wrong. Because well, there's a Robin in the band, and so I was like, Robin's a girl's name. Right? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. It's um, apparently Milosh. I was reading some interview and he was like, I didn't realize I sounded like a woman. I just thought I sounded like a lovely man. <laughs> 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 the world broke it to him. Yeah, <laughs> the world did have to break it to him. Yeah. So you, you were mentioning that your boyfriend was playing this this kind of gen- yes. gender guessing game, and he's he's helping you with uh, Mianjin stuff at the moment. Is that normal? Is is he uh, normally your right hand man? In the, <laughs> it is. It isn't normal. He he's an excellent proofreader. Um, in fact, you know he's, he doesn't have a full time job at the moment. If anyone wants to give him a, a job as a proofreader, he's very good at it. Um, details on our site, man. Details on our site. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, he owes me for that one. He yep. owes me big time. Um, but he's he's been doing some uh, casual proofreading for me, and because I'm uh, here in lovely Sydney today, he's and he's in Melbourne, being me, doing my job, taking in changes and, and sending me engine off to the printer. So right. um, you trust him? Oh uh, yeah, he's actually too. His his only problem is that he's too thorough. Um, he picks up he picks up too many things. Um, yeah, his 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 mind is a very very scary place. I wouldn't like to live there. It's a very fine tooth comb in that mind of his. Yeah, in mm. some areas and in other areas not at all. So, mm. do you mean that like being an editor, you'd prefer to have a less fine tooth comb of a mind? Like, what do you need to be an editor? What does it say about you to actually inhabit that role? Yeah, I think. Um, well, I mean, there's many many different styles of of editor. I'm very much a kind of. Um, you know, I, I like to outsource things to other people. So that's you're a slave driver. That's I, what you're saying. I'm, I'm a slave driver. I'm, I'm an excellent delegator. I think that's what you <laughs> meant to say. Uh, but not synonyms, love. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I think my style is sort of broad picture. So when the editing that I do is, is structural editing generally. So that's kind of... The, the the big issues in the piece. This is what you need to fix. I'm I'm not very good at proofreading, so I'm a terrible speller. I'm an appalling speller. My my grammar is iffy. Um, you know the the sort of details details are, are not my my strong point, and so I rely literacy. on it. <laughs> not Liter- what you need literacy. Literacy. It's it's optional. I'm just going to say it's optional. Um, <laughs> what you what you do need is is a great team of people around you and that's what I'm very lucky to have a very supportive skilled team and you know if you can kind of work with people and and I, th- I mean the number one skill I think is is that ability to to work well with people and, and encourage them in what they're good at um that's yeah. that's your job you're a facilitator 
Good. Well, I guess I don't, I've always wondered about this. I mean, I've wondered this about the music director at FBI. I wonder if he ever gets sick of listening to music and goes mm. home from work and is like, can't stand it. Or, you know, like Andrew Johnston, who was on the show last week, the co-founder of Semi-Permanent, whether he mm. gets sick of looking at art and design all the live long day, whether you get desensitized. I'm kind of wondering, when you turn something you love reading mm. into a full-time job, is there... What, what kind of happens there? Is there a downside of it? Do you take out... Does it take away from the enjoyment of... Um, of reading? I, the thing that I find it affects is my own ability to write. So I, f- I find it very hard to write for sort of my own pleasure or for, you know, for any other reason outside of work. Um, and I think a lot of that is just that you, you spend so much time looking at looking for the problems in other people's writing. That's what, you know, what your job is, um, to see the good things as well. But you're, you're trying to identify the problems and fix them and make it the best it can be. So when you're writing or you see your problems and you're like, oh, I'm doing that thing that I hate. I hate, you know, I'm doing, I'm, I'm you know, I, oh, I'm writing this character. Oh, it's just like all these, these characters that I read, you know, in submissions that I don't like. And, and it, it can, I think it can really hamper your writing. It doesn't really hamper my reading um, or at least... You know, I have a lot of, you know, I read a lot of different things and I'm a big, like, I'm a big genre fiction uh, fan, so I, I really like uh, fantasy and, and uh, sci-fi. So that's kind of my uh, my cleanse, my reading cleanse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the reading, not so much. I think I think the writing, I don't know if this is like, if it's like that for other editors. I don't think it is. There are plenty of editors who manage to write prolifer- prolifically and edit at the same time, but... um. I don't think I don't think I'm one of them. All right, and we've got another track to take now. It's Flight Facilities. Which track have we got from them? Um, so this is this is Crave You, and I I can't say I'm desperately familiar with Flight Facilities. Um, everything I've ever heard I like, but this 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 is my my romance my romance moment um, playing this song. So I first heard this song when my now boyfriend partner um, was playing it in a DJ set. Um, it's got a couple of good couple of years ago now and um it was he, he was playing a set at a writer's festival so you know it's it's, it's a set for nerds as is it um the national young writers festival in, in newcastle and it was sort of the party night and he was djing and he's he's a very good dj i've got to I've got to give him that much he's a good dj and he played this song and it was just the perfect moment to play this song and everyone was just so into it it was it was just this like beautiful moment and i think it kind of you know it was the moment that i gave him a chance maybe the moment I fell in love with him I don't know a little yeah. bit I, th- I think I think that's definitely like you know especially people who really love music there's a moment where someone goes I like this artist or mm. I'm, I'm really into this song and you go well that says something about you as a yeah. person and I am willing to give you a go now yeah <laughs> and there really learn. there is really nothing more attractive than seeing something someone do something that they're good at and do it well so yeah so this is this is that that song
Sax is back. Oh, long. How did it ever go away? I yeah. Mean, it's it's the, the best instrument. Is the instrument that I played as a teenager. Oh, um, yeah. So you're, you yeah. brought it back single-handedly. I brought it back, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't bring it back by playing it. I just brought it back by, by thinking about it. By willing yeah. it into I existence. Willed, I willed the, the sax come back. And yeah. <laughs> Zora Sanders is the one who <laughs> brought sax back, if anyone asks you. <laughs> she is the editor of Me Engine and... We were just my talk- new Twitter bio brought sex back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, indeed, was great. Oh, that's good. I mean, your your former Twitter bio was uh, mm-hmm. internet wife. Oh yeah, I, I can't that's remember. Pretty spot on. Yeah, I can't remember. It was the you know, it's always in jokes. Your Twitter bios are always terrible in jokes, aren't they? Or maybe mine. <laughs> it's just mine. I don't know. If I do, if I bring sex back, no one will have any idea. I'll always have to link to this. You know, this recording so people can listen to it and get it the joke. It won't make any sense. It won't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, and um, there's a story thing on tonight. I mean, mm. stories are a mm. big part of your life, and mm. you say you don't like necessarily writing them, but telling them. Apparently you're okay with that. Don't mind tell. I I like writing for for reading aloud. I quite enjoy that. I think I, I think because I have a lot more control over how it's received. So, 
you know, you, you can be a little sloppier, I think, when you're writing for reading, as long as you know how it, it should be read. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's actually easier. Or I find it easier. I'm sure lots of people I, don't. No, I think you're right, definitely. Mm. I mean, you don't want to be italicizing everything and the things you write or yeah, putting lots of exclamation yeah. marks in because then <laughs> exactly. it looks cheesy. Exactly. But you can you can have, you know, human exclamation marks, mm. which is good. Mm. Um, so tonight there's actually an event on and Zora Sanders, my guest today on Out of the Box, will be uh, some telling some stories there as part of All the Best, which is going to start at about 7. And she's going to be alongside Maxine Beniba Clark, who, and uh, also web developer Dan Nolan, who you might know from Stop Tony Meow fame. He's the guy <laughs> that replaces uh, stock photos of Tony Abbott with photos of adorable kittens, oh. saving you a lot of anxiety. He is doing the Lord's work. I tell you that much. <laughs> Bless him. And Caitlin Park's also going to be telling some stories alongside Belinda Lopez. And then later on in that night, Chaser are uh, going to have Empty Vessel on and then erotic fan fiction with. Such guests as Annabelle Crabb. I've always wanted to see what her erotic fan fiction was like. I don't know if that says anything about me. But yeah, tickets for this night are uh, 15 bucks on the door for the whole evening. So you go to see All the Best, The Chasers stuff, and erotic fan fiction. What more could you want? And that is I think outrageous it, value. It's pretty wild. And yeah. what, where was that at again? I've completely forgotten. Um, but anyway, there's going to be a uh, Facebook event. And we're going to put the link to that on our out-of-the-box programs and playlist page, you go to fbiradio.com and it's all there, including a uh, CV for <laughs> Zora's boyfriend so he can get a job. Oh, I th- he's not... Now, I kind of feel bad now. He's not pathetic. Like, he can... <laughs> <laughs> he has many skills. <laughs> um, oh, well, I don't know if he needs my help. Maybe he needs my help. I don't know. Yeah, and you, you just need broadcasters to take care of it for you. That's, yeah. that's what, how it works. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Zora. It has absolutely been my pleasure. And we've got one last track. And who's it by? So this track is by EMA. Um, and she is amazing. Uh, she's uh, just a rock goddess. I love her. Um I did recently come to the realization that I don't really like live gigs. I don't like live music. I'm, I'm uncomfortable what? the whole time. <laughs> it never sounds as good as I want it to. There's all these other people pissing me off. Like I, I'm, I'm just so I'm just never in the in the moment. However, I went to see EMA play um, a year or two ago, and it was amazing. It was at the the Tote in Melbourne, which is you know the the rock pub, and. Um, there's no backstage area, so after she finished the show, she has to like climb down off the stage and walk through the audience. You have to crowd stuff your way to the basically. Back room. <laughs> and so she she played this amazing show. She's just got so much energy. She's so powerful, and her music is beautiful. And then at the end of the show, she she climbed down off the stage, and as she was walking through the audience, she like caught my eye for a second, and she gave me a little smile, and um, it was probably the best moment of my life.
Gracious. 